Isaiah chapter number 50, probably out of all of the major prophets, my favorite major prophet. And uh, it's no more or less inspired than any of the others, but uh, it's a beautiful book. And it's been often said by commentators that uh, the book of Isaiah presents to us almost like a miniature Bible. And it does. You'll find just about every scripture theme in the book of Isaiah. And, uh, of course, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters, and uh, the Word of God, 66 books. And so it's a beautiful book, and I encourage you to spend some time reading it. You may say, well, preacher, I don't understand everything in it. That's no good reason not to read something, amen? Uh, I don't understand everything in about anything that I read, amen? (laughs) But we need to just keep on anyway, and the Lord will open your eyes to it. We talked about that Sunday night with the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that He will illuminate things and truths to our heart and mind. So I encourage you to spend some time reading the book of Isaiah. And I want to read four verses tonight. Only one of them will be our text, but we'll read the other three by way of introduction. And in fact, I'll tell you what, we're going to go a little further than that. We're going to read down to, uh, oh, about verse 6 or 7. And I want to do that because I want to give you some context that I believe will help you understand this passage tonight. So I want you to read along with me, read very carefully. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Now, God's speaking about Israel in this passage. And when He's saying uh, the bill of your mother's divorcement, He's speaking to the people of Israel and speaking about Israel as a nation. And he's saying, I've not put you away. I've not sold you. I've not cast you off. It's been you that has chosen to walk away from me. And certainly that was the condition that Israel was in, and in many ways still is in. But more importantly than that, that's the condition you and I was in when God found us. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Notice verse 4. It's our text. We'll read it again after we finish our entire reading. But it says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now you may say, now who are we talking about here, preacher? Well, listen to verse 6. I think you'll recognize him. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time. Just ask that You'd bless Your Word. Open it to us, God. If You don't, we cannot understand it. So we ask that You'd, through the Holy Ghost, illuminate Your Word and not only make it real and relevant, but apply it to our hearts and lives, and we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, I pray and ask You to bless each and every person that's here tonight. I know they're here when others aren't, and I know they've made a special effort to be here tonight. God, I know that You see that, and You're aware of it, and I just ask that You'd bless them. Speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Now, the entire 50th chapter, yea, and much of the book of Isaiah is a prophetic book in the Bible. You say, well, what does that mean? That means when Isaiah wrote these things, these things had not happened yet. And so God was speaking through Isaiah, not Isaiah was speaking, but God was speaking through Isaiah to reveal some things about the coming Son of God. Now, that's who we're talking about in this passage. And you may say, well, preacher, it seems familiar. Have not we read those verses? We have. In fact, uh, just a few weeks ago, I preached on verse number 10 where it speaks of those that walk in darkness. But tonight I want us to notice verse number 4. And let's read it again. Everybody reading it carefully with me. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Now, can I preach to you for just a few moments tonight? I'm going to try to be quick. Uh, I want to preach to you on the idea of a word to the weary. I'm interested by the use of that term weary because it denotes a lot of things. And if you've ever put in a hard day work, you know what it means to be weary. If you've ever had a day of emotional or spiritual battles, you know what it is to be weary. If you have ever walked a path that seemed too rough for you to walk, if you've ever carried a burden that seemed too big for you to carry, then you know what the term weary means. It means essentially to be desperately fatigued. It means to be fatigued to the point of fainting. Could I say to you tonight, there's going to be times in your life, and I don't just mean physically, I mean spiritually, where you're going to feel weary as you serve the Lord. It's only those typically that are serving the Lord that are going to feel weary over serving the Lord. You know, you talk to some people and, uh, you know, to them they, they act like, well, Christian life's just a piece of cake. Bed of roses, it's an easy uh, road to walk, and there's no... Well, most of the time, that's because they're not walking it. That's why they say that. Uh, the devil never fights them, because the devil doesn't have to fight them. Uh, they never come up with any contest or conflict of flesh uh, against faith, because they're never doing anything but what their flesh wants them to do. And they never bear any reproach or persecution from the world, because they're living just like the world. But I'm here to tell you tonight that if you're going to serve God, there's going to be times when you're going to feel weary. And our passage tells us that there is one in the midst of our weariness that knows how to speak a word to us that we desperately need. And His name is Jesus. I'm thankful we have a Savior that does not beat us up for being weary. I'm thankful we do not have a Savior that when we grow weary, when we go uh, grow weak, when we seek like Elijah just to lay down and say, God, it's just too much for me. I'm thankful that He does not send by an executioner uh, to put a bullet in us like an old horse that's broke his leg. But I'm thankful that He sends an angel with a plate of food to wake us up and to tell us to get up, arise, and eat. The journey's too great for thee. Now, tonight I want us to notice four things uh, very quickly. I want to say a word about the wisdom that is spoken of in this passage. Uh, now, something that you have to understand as you read Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ is that though we tend to be very imbalanced in our view of the Savior. Now, you say, well, now what do you mean, preacher? Well, I mean this. Do you know that, God, that Christ was 100% God tonight? 100% God. He wasn't a lesser God. He wasn't a sub-God. He wasn't uh, subservient to a portion of God. But He was very God in 
the flesh. A hundred percent. Completely unmarred, uncorrupted, uh, unspoiled in any way, and unlimited, he was God. But do you know also tonight that he was a hundred percent man as well? And that's paradoxical to our understanding. But it's true, nonetheless, the Word of God teaches it very clearly, that it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He was 100% man. But now I'm going to be honest with you. I think we all have a tendency to spend more time talking about Jesus as the Son of God than we do Jesus as the Son of Man. We all tend to do, and I'm not saying that we don't need to emphasize Him as the Son of God, and I'm not saying that it's not important that we state clearly what we believe about it. Because I'll tell you this tonight, there's a lot of folks out there that don't believe He's the Son of God. But I'm merely saying that sometimes when we read Old Testament prophecies, we read it and we have trouble picturing who's being spoken of as being the Son of God because we do not see Him often enough as the Son of Man. We do not see Him in His humanity. We do not see Him uh, in physical or fleshly form. We just do not picture Him that way. And so sometimes it's difficult. But understand that as you read this passage, uh, you are reading the passage, a passage that is concerning the Messiah that would come for the nation of Israel. The one that would be born of the seed of David. The one that would be uh, born in Bethlehem, Ephrata. The one that would uh, go down uh, by the guiding and leading of his parents and by the guiding hand of God down into Egypt to sojourn. The one that would grow up in Nazareth in the, uh, as the son in a carpenter's home. That's who we're speaking about tonight. And of course he's the son of God. But if you miss that he's also the son of man, you're going to miss what's being told to you here. Now, the Bible uses interesting language here, and I want you to notice it. It says, the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Now, if we're just talking about you or me, that's not really all that hard to understand, is it? Uh, that would simply mean the Lord has given me a wisdom. The Lord has shown me some things. The Lord has uh, imparted wisdom unto me. But now remember tonight, we're talking about the Son of God, who's also the Son of Man. So how could it be properly said that the Lord has given him the tongue of the learned? How could we say that Christ attained or gained anything more than who and what He already was? Now, I'm going to be honest tonight. We're dealing with some deep things, so you're going to have to listen carefully. We're dealing with some paradoxical truths that only God can reveal to us. Uh, but I want to say that I believe there's three ways, and there's a verse that unlocks this for us, that we're going to read. There's three ways in which God gave to His Son the tongue of the learn. Now, this is not saying that Christ came to know things he did not already know. This is not saying that Christ came to uh, absorb some knowledge uh, that he had not already attained. But it's being used in a particular way. In fact, let me just read it to you because I don't want to confuse you by over-preaching it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5. And if you want, when we get there, you can kind of stay parked in the book of Hebrews because there's several passages we're going to look at there. Hebrews chapter number 5, and I want to read to you verse number 8. Now, here we have another, uh, something else is talking about learning, another verse that deals with the idea of learning, and I want to deal with it for a moment. Verse number 8, look what it says carefully. Speaking of the Son of God, it says, Though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered. Now, I know this is a little unusual tonight, but I want you in your own heart and mind to ask yourself some questions about that. You know that it does no service to us as students of the Word of God to bury our heads in the sand and to ignore passages that are difficult for us to understand. That doesn't help us a bit. 
we need to look at it. We need to always allow the Scripture to be the master of our study. But there's nothing wrong with asking questions. Here's the question. How did he learn obedience? Is that saying that the Son of God was not already obedient? Well, of course not. The Word of God teaches us that the will of the Son, the will of the Father, were always in perfect harmony. So is it saying that he was ignorant of obedience and he attained to it? Well, no, that's not what it says because the Bible teaches us that Christ is omniscient. He knows everything or all things. Uh, he it did not uh, begin to exist whenever he was born of a virgin, but he was manifest when he was born of a virgin. Just as much God in the cradle as he was on the cross and as he will be when he wears a crown. So what is it saying here? Well, there's another verse. Turn back to chapter 2, and I believe you're going to understand it of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 2. And I want to say, listen to this word carefully. When we speak of him learning, we're speaking of this. Listen to this word now. The word experience. Experience. It's not saying that the Son of God attained to knowledge he did not already have. It is not saying that the Son of God uh, had His will submitted in obedience when it had been in rebellion. But what the Bible is teaching us when it speaks of Him learning or speaking with the tongue of the learned, or though He were a son yet learned He obedience, is it speaking of Him experiencing some things that He had not heretofore experienced. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter number 2 and look at verse 17. The Bible says, Wherefore in all things it behooved Him... To be made like unto his brethren. Now you say, what does behooved mean? It's not saying a behoover vacuum cleaner. What does it mean behooved? It means it's proper. It was fitting that he should do this. You'll see another word where it speaks of uh, it became him in other passages. You say, what does it mean for it to become him? It means it beautified him. You may have heard people say this before. We don't use this language much anymore, but we used to use it a lot. You'd look at a pretty young lady or you'd look at a handsome uh, young man and you'd say, that outfit is very becoming of you. And that word is used in your King James Bible. It became him. It beautified him. It was, uh, it was proper for him. When it's speaking of behooving, it means it benefited him. It was proper for him to do so. And it says it behooved him, it was proper for him, to be made like unto his brethren. Well, who were his brethren? They were the Jews. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now listen to this. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. You say, what does it mean to succor? It means to comfort. It means to meet the needs of. You see, when it speaks of God giving to him the tongue of learning, it's not saying that God imparted a wisdom to him. It's not saying that God uh, educated him in some way, but it's saying that God gave him through his will that he would live on this earth and experience the same heartaches that you and I experience. I'm saying to those of you that are weary tonight, you've got a Savior that knows what it's like to be weary. He's experienced that just like you have. Now, we have a lot of confusion sometimes about Christ and His humanity. It does not mean He had a sin nature. In fact, the Bible teaches explicitly that Christ did not have a sin nature. But His body suffered just like your body would and just like my body would. He knows what it is to be fatigued. He knows what it is to be hungry, to be tired, to be hurting. He knows what it is to be reproached and persecuted and rebuked by his brethren. I'm saying through his experience, he is a fit high priest for us. You see, he did not uh, learn these things for his benefit. He learned them for ours. Or should we say he did not experience these things for his benefit? He experienced them for ours. 
How many times have you heard someone say this to you before? You're going through a difficult time. Somebody looks at you and they say, I know what you're going through. And you know they mean well. And people usually do. If somebody says that to you, they're not trying to be ugly. They mean well. But in your heart of hearts, you know they don't know what you're going through. And it's of no help for them to say, oh, it might seem sweet. You might think to yourself, well, bless their hearts, they're trying to comfort me. But it's totally different from someone that knows exactly what you're going through. To look at you and say, I know what you're going through. I was hearing a story about an evangelist by the name of Booth Tucker that lived in the 1800s. And he was preaching one day, and uh, he began to speak about how Christ sympathizes, and Christ knows, and Christ knows where you're at, what you're going through, and, and what you've been through. And after the service, there was a man that came up to him. He had just lost his wife. And that man came up to Mr. Tucker, and he looked at him, and he said, Mr. Tucker, he said, it's easy for you to stand up there and to preach that God cares about us. But you tell me, could you still preach it if you had just buried your wife and your babies were crying for their mother? That night, Mr. Tucker went home. The next day, through some sort of tragedy, I'm not aware of what it was, whether it was an accident or something, his wife died. And at the funeral, Mr. Tucker was up and he was preaching. And he said, there was a man that came to me last week. And he said to me, Mr. Tucker, you wouldn't preach that way if you had been through what I've been through. You wouldn't preach that way if you just buried your wife and if your babies were crying for their mom. And he looked down at that casket and he said, I'm here to tell you that my wife has been taken from me. My babies are crying for their mother, but Christ is still sufficient for my needs. He said, my heart is crushed, it's broken, but God has still given me a song in the midst of it. When he gave the invitation, that man had been there and he came down, knelt at the coffin of Mr. Tucker's wife and came to know Christ as his Savior. I'm saying it's totally different when somebody says it that, that you know they know what it's like. I'm saying when you pray, you're talking to a Savior that knows what you're going through. Because of his experience, he has this wisdom. Let me give you a second thought. Not only because of his experience, but by his example. He can give us this word of wisdom. Uh, look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Most of you know what it is before you turn there. But read it with me if you can. Verse number 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with, about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How do we do that? How do we keep from getting weary in the race that we're running? Or what do we do when we get weary? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. I thought about that word consider, and I was going to preach on that tonight, but the Lord didn't give me liberty. But I do want to give you these thoughts. The word consider notes the idea of beholding. Beholding. Looking upon some. That's what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If you're weary tonight, you can look unto Him. But not only uh, to behold something, but also to com excuse me, to comprehend something. To understand it. To look upon Him and to recognize who and what He is. And then I believe thirdly to consider something is to believe. To believe in it. And I would say tonight that by His example, He's shown us. That's what it says. For consider Him who hath endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Lest ye be, what? Wearied and faint. 
I'm saying tonight that not only do we know that Jesus knows what it's like, but we can look to Him to know how to live in the midst of our weariness. We can look to Him. That's what the book of, uh, I believe it's First Peter says, uh, that He's an example that we should follow in His steps. We're called to suffer like He suffered, and He's our example. We can look to Him and we can know, listen, not only does He know what it's like, but He's been through it to the other side. He can guide us through it. It's tough when you are growing weary, when things are getting difficult, when you want to give up. But I want to encourage you tonight by saying that the captain of your salvation did not give up and he can carry you through. Feels like it's never going to end. Feels like you just want to give up. But tonight, by his example, we can walk on. Let me give you another one. By his expression. Now, it does not say to uh, give a hug in season to them that are weary. It does not say to give a handshake to them uh, that are weary. It does not say to give a love offering to them that are weary. It says to give a word to them that are weary. And could I say that we gain comfort not only by Christ's experience and by uh, His example, but by His expression to us. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. It says, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That's a lot of times the word comfort is used, isn't it? Do you know there's a comfort that comes from the Word of God that can come from no other place? How does God speak a word to us? Well, I believe that God can convey uh, ideas or impressions, and and I'm not by any means trying to limit uh, the ability of the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. Certainly He can. But can I say to you that the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, is only one of the ways that God speaks to us, primarily even, I would say, it's through the Word of God. That's how God speaks to us. Well, the Bible says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners uh, spake in times of old, it speaks of in Hebrews chapter number 2, but it says, in these last days, he hath spoken unto us by his Son. Well, I've never heard Jesus speak to me audibly, never. But I'll tell you this, I've got just as good a thing when I open the Word of God. That is the Word of God. That's the Son of God right there. And Christ can speak to me through his Word. I'm saying when you're weary, we can, through his Word, find comfort and encouragement. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there's been times that it seemed... I, I mean, I know, I know that the Word of God is written for us, but have you ever opened it and just got the feeling it was written just for you? I've been there. I mean, times when I opened the Word of God, and it was, I mean, it was almost like God just Taylor wrote that right for my situation. And I knew that He was speaking to my heart through the Word of God. Listen, we don't rely on the Word of God enough. We use the Word of God like something that's just a book. We leave it sitting on the nightstand so people think we're spiritual. And we bring it once, twice, maybe three times a week to the house of God and follow along a little bit. I'm saying this. If you are neglecting this, you're neglecting your greatest resource. We ought to all be spending time in the Word of God. Hey, are you scared? Spend some time in the Word of God. Time and time again, the Word of God says, fear not. Are you feeling discouraged? Get in the Word of God. David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's how you do it. You get in the Word of God. Are you worried over something? The Bible says uh, to be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing. We can get in the Word of God and find what we need. I'm saying it doesn't matter what you're facing. The Word of God has the answer for it. Every single bit of it. So we say a word about His wisdom. I want to go on and I want to say a word uh, about the Word that He speaks of. 
It says to speak a word in season. And I want to say that first off, this is a word of sensitivity. It says in season to him that is weary. I would say that God knows in what seasons we are weary. Most of the time, people never know when you're fighting your toughest battles. I'm being honest with you tonight. Most of the time, people never know when you're fighting your toughest battles. Most of the time, you've got people around you tonight, I promise you, people around you tonight fighting battles that are so big and so deep and so just a raging battle that you know nothing about. And it's difficult as believers. I know there's times, you know, I, I talk a lot, amen? I talk a lot, and I talk to people a lot. And uh, one of the difficult things is sometimes you'll be talking to someone, you want to weep with people, and you want to, uh, when they're weeping, you want to laugh with people when they're laughing. But it's difficult as a pastor to know what people are always going through. Sometimes they don't share it, sometimes they won't share it, sometimes they shouldn't share it. But for whatever reason, sometimes it's difficult to know. You may have friends and family member going through things that you would never believe, but I'm thankful that God's sensitive to those needs. You may feel like nobody knows, and you may have tried to hide it from people because you didn't want people to know. But I'm saying you can't hide it from God. He's aware of what season you're going through in your life. It's a word of sensitivity, but it's a word of sympathy as well. The reason the word's given is because God sympathizes. Or could I use a different word? I didn't use it for alliteration's sake, but I, I think it's important to denote the two. God does not just sympathize, God empathizes. Now you say, what's the difference now? To sympathize is to imagine someone's hurt. To empathize is to feel someone's hurt. To sympathize is to look at someone and say, Oh, I'm so sorry uh, that you're in that predicament. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. To empathize is to say, I'm going to crawl in the middle of that pit with you, and I'm going to hurt with you, and I'm going to weep with you, and I'm going to suffer with you, and I'm going to go with... You know the difference? The book of Job... uh, Those first seven days that his friends came and sat down with him in the ash heap, they were empathizing. All the other 40-some chapters or 30-some chapters that they started talking and started discouraging him, they were sympathizing with him. There's something that empathizing can do that sympathizing can't. And I'm saying when God speaks a word to you or when He comforts you and encourages you in the midst of your weariness, know this, that He is suffering with you. You say, I didn't know God suffered. Well, sure, God suffers. Sure, it breaks his heart when your heart is broken. Sure, it discourages him when you're discouraged. The Bible says that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. It does not say has not been. It says cannot be. In other words, it's not just saying he has suffered those things, but it's saying he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What does it mean to touch? It means to affect something, to have contact with it. And I'm saying this tonight, when you're hurting, God's hurting with you. And you say, does that make him less God? No, that makes him more God. That doesn't make him less God. That makes him more of what he promised he would be to us. It's a word of sympathy. But I would say that we can be encouraged because it's a word of sovereignty. You see, as we look at the example of Christ, one of the things we ought to take away from it is that he walks with us in our pain. Another thing we ought to take with it is that he uh, walks through the pain along and carries us. But something else we ought to take from it is this that He is in control of the pain that we're going through. Some of us aren't going to like that. Some of us don't understand that, and and we don't like that. And let me just put it this way. There is a big difference between controlling something and being in control. You understand what I mean? 
Let's use the example of delegation. Some of you are working and you have bosses. Some of you have bosses that come along beside you and micromanage everything you do. They're trying to control things. Others of you have bosses that they back away and they allow you to do what they're paying you to do. But if at any time they came into your office or came into your workspace and said, I expect you to do this different, you'd have to do it different. You know why? Because they're your boss. They are in control without controlling. So what we gather from God's sovereignty is this. Though He may not be affecting or causing those things that we're going through, we know He has the wherewithal and ability to stop them at any moment that He chooses. He may not be controlling things, but He's in control of things. And that ought to encourage us for this reason. When it's time for that season to be up, it will be up. When, when, when it's time, when God has accomplished in our lives what He's trying to accomplish... He can turn it off like a light switch if He chooses. The disciples were in the midst of that raging sea. And they couldn't do a thing about it. God was not whipping the waves into a frenzy. The Bible talks about the storm arising. Uh, I believe, and you don't have to believe this, but I believe it was a storm just like any other storm that comes up on the Sea uh, of Galilee. I, I believe it was a vehement storm, but I don't believe that God was necessarily causing that storm. But He sure had the power to stand up, open His hand, and cease the storm when He wanted to. The waves are going to beat against you as long as God sees fit. And when He's done, you'll be done with it too. There's a touch of sovereignty. I want to say a word about this weariness, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to say these because I'm running out of time. I would say that weariness is a regular experience. Whoever you are, you're going to face weariness. It's a regular experience in life. You're going to get tired. You're going to get beat down. You're going to get weary sometimes. It's not unusual. The Bible says there is no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. The Bible speaks of our trial in the flesh and our trial of faith that we experience while we're trying to battle the flesh. His beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though such strange, some strange thing hath happened unto you. The Bible says that these same afflictions are accomplished in our brethren, which are in the world. I'm saying you're going to be weary sometimes. Don't feel like you're out of the will of God when you get weary. Don't feel like something's wrong when you get weary. Just take it as a cue to draw closer to the one that carries you through these things. It's a regular experience, but it is a repetitive experience. It says it's a season. One thing about seasons, and I know everybody's always up in arms about, I mean, not our crowd, but you know, you listen to radio and you'll find people, it's all up in arms about this global warming thing. All the time, global warming this, global warming that. I like to joke around, but I, you know, I believe in global warming, only I believe it's going to get a lot warmer than they expect it to. <laughs> Amen. I believe the elements will melt with fervent heat. Uh, I don't believe God's ever going to destroy this world with a flood again, because He promised He wouldn't, but I believe He will destroy it with fire and with brimstone. Uh, but, uh, you know, people worry about that global warming thing. And I've had people ask me, oh, preacher, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? That doesn't bother me, because God made a promise to Noah. When the flood waters abated and when Noah came off the ark and God made a covenant, the Noahic covenant with, with Noah, God said that from here to four there's always going to be seed time and uh, springtime, harvest time, gathering time. He said it's never going to end. There's always going to be these things. As long as this world exists, there will always be these seasons. Sometimes if you live in East Tennessee, you don't know when they start and end, but we have them nonetheless. Amen. It's a seasonal thing and so is weariness. It's seasonal. One thing about it, you know it's passing, but you know it's coming again. 
We are going to have periods of time when we just feel as though we're drained, zapped. Can't go on any longer. And if you think that you're never going to have that time again, you know, that's an affliction to some of us young people. we got a few of us here tonight. Uh, you know, we get weary. It's not that. But sometimes we feel ten foot tall and bulletproof. We can just go and go and go and go. But those of us uh, or those of you all that have been around just a few years longer, uh, you know very well that it catches up with you at some point. Weariness will set in, but I would say it's not only a repetitive thing, it is a relieved experience. You say, well, now what do you mean, preacher, a relieved experience? Well, I mean this, uh, that a season, just as it comes, it also goes. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, our Lord whenever uh, he was tempted by Satan. And the Bible says that the devil departed from him for a season. In other words, there came a point when he got some relief from that temptation. And you and I, you may be weary right now, but I'm saying this, if you won't give up on God, He's sure not going to give up on you. And there will come a time you'll, you'll gain strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. It may feel weary at the time, but God will give you the strength. And then I want to finally just say a very quick word about the awakening that's spoken of. The awakening. Uh, the Bible says, and notice it again at the end of this verse, this is unusual, it almost, and I'm not saying it doesn't fit, it does fit, but I'm saying just as you read it on the surface, it almost looks a little out of place. He wakeneth, now who's the he? Who's the he? Because the person speaking here is the Son of God. Isn't that right? The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. So who's the he? Well, it's found in the verse, it's speaking of the Lord God. He wakeneth morning by morning. Now, here's the question. Is it saying that he wakes up himself or he wakes someone else up? Well, we see from our text. It says, he wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Now, the Son of God is the one who's speaking in this passage. He's speaking about the Lord God, his Father, when he's speaking here. And he says, he wakeneth. But he goes on to say, it's not himself that he's wakening. It's not saying he's waking up, but it's saying he wakens me. Now, that still presents a problem, and that's this. Does God sleep? Well, we know that he does not. We know that his eyes are ever beholding his saints. We know that he does not slumber or sleep. So what is it saying? Notice it does not say he wakeneth me. It says he wakeneth mine ear to hear. This is poetic language being used by God through the prophet Isaiah. And what it's saying is this. Day by day, I hear the prayers and cries of my children. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And that tells me three things. That God's hearing is ever-present because it's morning by morning. It's ever-present. So I've had a rough day today. Well, God's going to give you another one tomorrow if you don't take you home first. Say, I feel like a failure today. Well, maybe you are today. I've got days when I'm a failure for sure. And it's more than, than days that I feel like a success. But thank God that He's giving me another one with the rising sun if He doesn't return first. It's ever-present. He's ever-present to hear. You say, God didn't answer that prayer. Well, He did. He may have not answered it like you expected. But he did hear, but guess what? He's going to hear tomorrow and the day after, too. It's not only ever-present, but it's ever-proper. Ever-proper. God is wakening the ear of his Son. What does that tell you? It tells you it's the will of God to hear and to answer prayers. God is wakening. In other words, you can picture it this way. 
And I know this is a little bit silly and a little bit imaginative, but that's all right. This is what God's doing every morning by morning. In, in, a, in a figurative way, God is saying, now, son, listen up. They're getting ready to pray, and I want to hear what they have to say. Son, listen up. They're getting ready to bow their knee and speak to me. And I want you to be sure and intercede for them and tell me what they're praying. It's the will of God to hear and to answer prayers. And then three, it's ever perceptive, ever perceptive. God always hears. I know we don't feel like that, but God always hears. I know we don't think that way, but God always hears. He always hears and answers our prayers. So you say, well, preacher, why do they have this whole other thought about prayer right next to this, this message about weariness? Could God be trying to tell us something tonight? Could He be trying to tell us that if you're weary, He'll speak a word in season to you? You say, what season? Well, I believe God's house is a good season that He speaks those words to us in. And He's spoken a word to you tonight. You say, how has He done that? Through His word. He knows what you're going through, and He's given you something tonight. You say, preacher, what am I supposed to do? Well, He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learn. In other words, I guess it's good that we respond in prayer and ask God to give us the strength and help that we need as we go through these weary days of our life that we're facing.